So I'm not trying to scare heaven into in this next series, but I'm trying to awaken the church uh, to the reality of something very amazing. This uh, series is going to be called Living Hope, and we're going to be preaching this right until uh, Easter. So right up till Easter, we're going to be in this series called Living Hope. And really what it's about is about the return of the hope of the church. It's about the return of the king. It's about the return of Jesus Christ and really these last days that we're living in. And we're going to spend some time talking about uh, the subject called eschatology, which is just really the last days, the study of the last days, how we should behave, how we should live in light of the fact that we have this living hope coming to return to us named Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to set that series up today, and I'm just going to believe God is going to grip your heart. Uh, My prayer for all of you is that you will be here every week to hear the word of the Lord, because you're going to be getting a lot of teaching from many different books. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. We're going to be in the book of of, uh, of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We're going to be in the book of uh, Isaiah. We're going to be in Titus today. We're just going to be looking at the, the plethora of teaching that the Bible talks about the last days, that Jesus Christ is coming back for his church, which is our hope church. And we're going to be celebrating that. And what I hope and pray is that for your life and for my life, it's going to begin to compel us to change the way we live a little bit. How ought we to live in light of the fact that the living hope of Jesus Christ is about to return? Let me ask you a question. If you knew... Jesus was coming back a year from today. One year from today, you'd be spending the rest of your life, your eternal life, your forever and forever and forever with God, with those who know him and serve him and love him. How would that shape the way you live this next life? I'll let you think about that while I pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for just your presence with us today. Lord, what a great day. What a, I'm just excited. Who wouldn't want to be here, Lord God? What a place to be on a Sunday morning in your presence with your people, celebrating the hope of salvation, the hope of your soon return. God, you are good. You are good. You are so good, Lord. I pray, God, right now for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better, Lord God, that we might know the hope that you've called us to, God, that we might know the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus and that we might know the incomparably great power for us who believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. If you have your Bible, I'm gonna be in Titus chapter two, verse 11 to 14 to start us off. And uh, we're gonna just look at this text and really how what it speaks to us today. So Titus 2, 11 to 14, it should come up on your screen uh, and here it is. For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires and to live sensible, upright, and godly lives, lives with a purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age, awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly gave himself to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness 
and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Amen? I want you to understand the context of this passage, what this passage is about, is about the grand appearing, the great narrative of the church, uh, everything coming to this one point in our reality, one point in the cosmos where the grand appearing of the king of kings is about to happen. The grand revealing, someone is about to come, something is about to happen, a great revelation is about to come to this world. And the word grace is a very interesting, interesting word. It says the grace of God has appeared. The word appeared is in this text twice and grace is in this text and I want to explain what these words mean. The word grace means the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. Now, what does that mean? It means God comes and he reveals himself to you and to me. And when God reveals himself, he reveals himself to our hearts and that revelation, that that appearing begins to transform us and change us. Do you understand? You start to know God and reveal, God reveals who he is and it's an amazing thing. And so grace is this divine influence upon our heart. It's this revelation to our hearts of who God is. And so God is revealing himself to the human heart, which is amazing. And the word appeared is in our text a couple times, and I want to tell you what that word means. The word appeared is the word epiphany. Epiphany. It means to manifest or to reveal something. It means to make it visible, to shine upon it, to become known. And, and the word epi is, an, you know, we know this word. An epi is happening. An epi is about to occur. And, and that means a superimposition upon time and space. Something is about to happen. Something supernatural is about to occur where God is about to be revealed in a new way to this world. Wow. So we're, in the, we're up for, we're ready for this epi. And I want you to understand that the living hope of the church, there's, there's kind of two epis or there's two revealings that are happening in this text. And the first revealing is basically God comes as a savior. That's the first revealing of God. God reveals himself. The superimposition of God upon humanity has come. 2,000 years ago, Christ came and, and this epi occurred, this amazing uh, uh, revelation of God came to the world. And then on the other bookend of the church is, is this soon-to-be-coming epi of God, this soon-to-be-coming superimposition of the presence of God upon humanity is about to occur. And that's the second coming or the blessed hope of the church, the return of the king. And right in the middle between those two bookends is the living hope of the church. That's where we live. See, this is the church age, the Bible calls it, or our scholars call it. The church age, we're living in an age when Christ has come and, and then we're, we're to live and prepare. God, he's about to come again. And right in the middle of that is not only the living hope, but how we are to live in the light of that hope. That's what we want to talk about today. Well, let's talk about the very first one, the grace that brings a revelation of the Savior that has already come. This is what our text said in Titus 2.11. It said, For the remarkable, undeserved grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. See, Emmanuel, God with us, God Almighty has come to earth, and he came to earth, and he did uh, such an amazing 
incredible things 2,000 years ago that it literally changed the world for the next 2,000 years. I love it. Uh, you know, you can, you can study this from so many different angles. I'm going to read one scripture to you from Zechariah. And Zechariah was basically a John the Baptist's father. And he was told, you're, you're going to have a son. He was well past the years of, of childbearing age. His wife was, and he was. And, and God said, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be great and awesome. And he's about to herald the coming, the first epi of God is about to occur. This first uh, epiphany of God is about to come upon the world and your son is going to be the one who heralds it. And John didn't really quite believe it. And then it happened. And then it happened. And then all of a sudden John realized, sorry, Zechariah realizes, oh my gosh, this is true, it's happening. And, 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 and you can read the story yourself, the Christmas story, where he can't speak for nine months and suddenly his child is born and they name the child. The moment he names the child, boom, he begins to speak again. And these are the words that he begins to say. Zechariah, filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit and prophesying, said these words. Praise be to the exalted Lord God of Israel, who has seen us through eyes of grace. And he comes as our hero God to set us free. He has appeared to us as a mighty savior, a trumpet of redemption. The splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in holy visitation. That's your first words when you haven't spoken for nine months. That's some power-packed words. Are you with me? He is excited. God is about to come. And he knows his son is now here. His son has been born. And he's heralding the coming of this king of kings. So the Jewish nation thought. And Jesus comes on the scene. And you know the story. 30 years old, he begins his ministry, and these are his words, and they may not come up on your screen, but Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is speaking. This is the first recorded message, the first recorded teaching of Jesus. Here we go. His message was this, at last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust and hope in a hope-filled gospel. Jesus comes on the scene and the kingdom of God is revealed. Well, what's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God in its simplest terms is God showing up and doing life with people. This is the invitation. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is here. I can come now. I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to do life with you. That means, doesn't mean everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to be good. You're still going to go through hard times, but you're not going to go through them alone. And this is the whole revelation of salvation. Salvation is not just a one-time event. It's really God saying, the kingdom of God is the gospel. The gospel is not just, I get saved from my sins. The gospel is that I can do life with God. Wow, wow, wow. What an invitation. You know, God not only comes to forgive our sins, but to do life with us. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has come. Hope has been realized. Salvation, righteousness, peace, joy, all these things come to us. Even in the midst of our suffering, even in the midst of trials, God is with you. He is for you and not against you. This is the revelation that God wanted to bring. This is the epiphany that God wanted to bring upon mankind. And for two millennium, 2,000 years, Christ has come and visited humanity. 
He's visited people. He visited you today. He visited me today. He visited us through the power of his Holy Spirit's presence here. He's been doing this for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, the hope of the coming of God has shaped the destiny of so many billions of people have been transformed because of this coming, this epiphany. How many of you know the calendar that you follow in your life is based on the epiphany of Christ? (laughs) Amen? Annos Domini is the year of our Lord. It's 2019. 2019 years since the Lord has come. And BC, it means before Christ. Even our calendar has been shaped. And and Jesus becomes the central figure of all humanity. He becomes that person, that epicenter, that boom, everything explodes from him and everything moves toward him. Powerful. How many of you know higher education, even education of the masses comes because of the epiphany of God come to this earth? That did not exist before. How many of you know literacy did not exist? The masses were not educated or taught. Do you know that happened because Jesus Christ came? It's not hard to make those connections. Do you know benevolence and charity and the, the good Samaritan ethic comes because of the epiphany of Jesus Christ coming as Savior? How many of you know justice and higher standards of justice exist because Jesus Christ came? How many of you know modern science even exists because Jesus Christ came? You say, come on. Isaac Newton, who is the father of modern science, the inventor of calculus... The scientific method, he was a devout follower of Jesus. Matter of fact, the thing he wrote more on than mathematics was theology. There are volumes of theology written by Isaac Newton. Amazing. How many of you know the elevation of common men comes because of Jesus Christ come? How many of you know the elevation of women comes because of Jesus Christ coming? All of these things came because of this very first. How many of you know art and music has been shaped because of the coming of Jesus Christ? Because of the epiphany of God. I'm telling you, these things have happened. They've occurred and they're still occurring. And here's the biggest one, the most important one. How many of you know countless lives have been transformed? (laughs) Where were you at before you had the epiphany of the Savior, where were you at in your life before Jesus came? How many of you know nothing has shaped the world more than the coming of this one person? It's incredible. He never received a high school diploma. He never was in higher education. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. Yet all the, uh, there's a, a statement called one solitary life. All the navies that have ever sailed, all the armies that have ever marched have not affected the world more than this one solitary life. That's pretty cool. The epiphany of God has happened, church, and the living hope has come to us. That's pretty good news. But the text talked about a second revelation, a second epiphany that was about to occur. We've been living in this church age in the middle. We've been living in the living hope We've had this epiphany of Christ, and now there's coming another epiphany. Another revelation is about to happen, which is pretty amazing. And here's what it says in our text. This grace brings a revelation of the king that is still to come. 
Titus 2.13 puts it this way, awaiting confidently, expecting the fulfillment of our blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to know, church, listen to me. The kingdom of God has come. God has come. He's doing life with his people. He's doing life with his people. But I want you to know it's a kingdom that has come, but it is a kingdom that is still coming. Because how many of you know God is not ruling this world completely right now? How many of you know we we do whatever we want still? We can completely ignore God. We can reject God. we We can go opposite of God. We can kill, rob, and destroy. We can do whatever we want because the second and final revelation of God is yet to come, but it's upon us. The king is coming. The king is coming. And this king is the glorious appearing of the king is about to occur. The blessed hope, the supremely blessedness of Christ returning to the church. The glorious appearing, the very apparent and memorable and conspicuous manifestation of the bright glory of God is about to be upon the church and upon the world. And I'm telling you, the kingdom that's come, it's still coming. And when it comes and when it's fully established, I want you to understand something, church. I want you to wake up and realize something. This epiphany will be like nothing you've ever experienced before about God. And it's just around the corner. The blessed hope of the church is the return of the king. This is our blessed hope. You know, we know this, and I've I've shared this example before, but it's such a relevant example. You know, the Apostle John, really, I I want you to understand, five times in the book of John, the Gospel of John, John calls himself, he says this, the one whom Jesus loved. Can you imagine you describe yourself as that? What's your descriptor? I'm the one who Jesus loves. You know, know, uh, it's interesting, because you can say, well, that's kind of self-centered, John, gee, you know, you might even get mad. You might say, John, that's kind of... I want to say I'm the one who Jesus loves. Do you know what? You can. You can say that. You could be like, John, man, God loves me so much. I'm the one who Jesus loves. We need to know him. How many know you need a little more of an epiphany of God to be able to say that with authority? So John did. He, he, he spoke as one who said, man, God loves me. The Bible says that on, on the Last Supper, he was leaning against the bosom of Christ. He's leaning on his chest. Are you following me? He's, he's so intimate, so close. The Bible records that John was one of the inner circle of three around Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. I believe John was Jesus' best friend. I believe he was his best friend on earth. And so John is now, he was a young man when that happened. He was probably in his late teens. And, and he's, he's walking with Jesus. Jesus dies and rises again, goes to heaven. John is an apostle. He lives for God. He's lived his whole life. He's one of the only apostles that did not die a martyr's death. He died of old age. So he's living on this island called Patmos. He's been there. He's now in his maybe 70s or 80s. We're not sure, but he's an old man now. And he hears a voice speaking behind him. Let's read what happens next. Revelation 1. It was Sunday and I was in the spirit, John is speaking, praying. I heard a loud voice behind me, trumpet clear and piercing. 
Write what you see into a book, send it on to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned and I saw the voice. I saw a golden menorah with seven branches in the center of the Son of God, or the Son of Man, in a robe and a gold breastplate, hair a blizzard of white, eyes pouring forth fire blaze, both feet furnace-fired bronze, his voice a cataract. I had to look it up. It's a roaring waterfall. He speaks, and it's like a roaring waterfall. Wow, wow, wow. Right hand, he's holding seven stars. Come on. With his mouth, it's a sharp, biting sword, and his face is a perigee sun. It means to be as close to the planet Earth as it possibly can be. When the sun is at perigee, it's at its height, it's at its closest. It's the most brilliant it ever is. Do you understand? When you look at the face of the soon return, the epiphany that's about to happen, you're like, wow! And of course, John says these words, wow, it's my friend Jesus! No, he doesn't. The Bible says he falls at his feet as though he is dead. This was his best friend on planet Earth. This is the one who walked with him all the days of his life. He was called the son of thunder. By the time Jesus returned, he was called the apostle of love because he'd been transformed by the grace of God. And he sees him now in his glorified state and he says, Whoa, and to me, I'm dead. And of course, Jesus puts his hand on and says, don't fear. It's still me. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm alive. I died, but I came back to life, and now I live forevermore. Get up, brother. Yes, sir. Now, I understand. I want us to get something here. This is critical. The Lamb of God uh, is already come. He who has come to take away our sins... Our friend Jesus has already come. We've already had that epiphany. We're about to have a new epiphany. He's not coming this time as the suffering servant. Do you understand? He's coming as the king of all kings. He is coming as the Lord of all lords. He is coming to establish a kingdom and he's coming to rule with an iron scepter and about to bring righteousness and peace upon this world once and for all and for good. That's who's coming. And the church says it's time to get ready for this new revelation. This new revelation of such magnitude, such glory, such power, such splendor is about to be unleashed upon the world that the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings. And the Lord of lords. Wow, wow, wow. You say, how can every knee bow and every tongue confess? I'm going to tell you one of the scriptures that freaks me out the most in the Bible. It's in Psalm 130. I think it's verse, uh, verse 4. I love this verse. It says this. With you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. You say, why is that one of the most powerful verses in the Bible? Because it doesn't matter, listen to me now, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you failed to do. It doesn't matter if you're an F minus in your life. 
in every area, if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he will come into your life and begin to change you. All you need to do is acknowledge where you fall short and walk with him. And get a, guess what you get to do the next day? Acknowledge where you fall short and walk with him. And guess what you get to do the next day? Acknowledge where you fall short and walk with him. He takes you right where you're at and he says, I, I'll take you. I don't care what sin issue you're dealing with. I don't care what addiction. I don't care what brokenness. I have come and I've come to set you free. Just come to me, come to me, come to me. That's our God. And that's why every knee will bow because no one's going to have an excuse on that day. Well, I, you know, I just wanted to keep doing what I wanted to do. Well, you know what? You can't. You can. You're free to. This is what's disturbing about God. I'm going to tell you something about God that you may, may shock you. He is the least controlling being in the entire universe. Do you ever think about that? He actually gives you freedom to do whatever you want. So believer today, this is what I'm trying to tell you. We need to wake up. We need to wake up to the fact that he's not just buddy Jesus anymore, pal Jesus who winks at my sin and smiles at all the things I'm doing. I need to say, God, you need to change me so I can become more like you. It's not enough just to be accepted by you, God. I need to be changed by your glory. That's the living hope of the church. See, the creator's coming, the sustainer's coming of all life. The king of kings is about to return. Wow, wow, wow. You see, Revelation 1, listen to me now, Epiphany 1 was about our friend and our savior coming. That was the epiphany. That was the epiphany of God, that God wanted to come close. God wanted to do life with mankind. But the second epiphany is that he's coming as the king. And live your life in the middle. Live your life like that's true. <laughs> He's coming, church. And so that's the goal of salvation. And this is what the middle part of our verse. Remember, we, we've talked about the first bookend. He came as the Savior. Now the second bookend, he's coming as the King of Kings. But here's what the middle verse says. The grace of God empowers us to live worthy of the return of the King. See, wedged in between the first epiphany and the second epiphany is the grace of God, the revelation of God, the power of God for your life and for my life to be changed. Now, I'm not telling that to condemn you. I'm telling that to wake us up. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter how broken you are. God takes you right from that spot and moves you an inch. See, religion says if you're an F minus, now you have to become an A plus. That's religion. That's not relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, man, you're a total loser, failure, F minus. But I love you and accept you right where you're at. But let's move on so that you can become a D this year. Woo! You're still a failure. But God doesn't see you that way. God doesn't see you that way. Amen? That, that's the hope of the church, guys. That's the living hope. It doesn't matter how broken I am. God takes me where I'm at. And he says, I want to start living with you, walking with you. Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2, the middle verses. It says, it teaches us to reject ungodliness and worldly immoral desires, to live sensible, upright, godly lives, lives with purpose that reflects spiritual maturity in this present age. Wow. 
This is the living hope. This is the time of the church. And, you know, if you look at it from the book of Revelation, it's, it's really the time of self-judgment. It's the time where the church says, I'm preparing for the fact that I'm about to spend eternity forever and forever and forever with the King of Kings who loved me enough to give his life for me. Can I not give my life for him? That's the hope. That's the thing that we need to understand. Look at the, some of the words that are in that text. I'm not, I'm, uh, they won't come up on your screen, but he says, live godly, be Christ-like. Love God, love self, love others. Master immoral desires. Deny, refuse, reject that which devalues others for the sake of self. That's pretty powerful. Wow. Be sensible. <laughs> live sensibly. Don't you think it's good to have sensible people in today's world? I'm so thankful when I meet sensible people. I'm just like, you are sensible. You reflect the glory of God. Wow. It seems like a pretty low standard, but there it is. Nonetheless, live uprightly. Live maturely. Greater reflect the image of Christ. Listen to me, church. You, you, you're preparing for your retirement. You're getting ready to retire in this world. And I'm telling you, this is not your retirement. It's not. It's what we do in Christ and for Christ and how we're transformed by Christ. That's our retirement. That's what goes with us into eternity, for eternity. So we got to wake up. The king's coming. The king is coming. I want you to understand how, how does this help us? How does grace help us? Well, first of all, grace helps us by teaching us daily. That's what the text said. It teaches us. It teaches us. It disciplines us from immaturity to maturity, from childhood to adolescence, and into spiritual adulthood. And again, I don't care if you're an F minus. I don't care. I don't care if you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with. I don't care. God doesn't care. What he cares is that you're saying, God, I'm struggling with this thing. Take me from here to the next place of freedom. That's it. Why do you come to church? Why do you go to a care group? Why go to prayer meeting? Why to have an epiphany of God? Why do you worship? I don't know about you, but I'm worshiping in the front row and I'm like, oh God, I'm having an epiphany. It's a little minor epiphany compared to what's about to come. But I'm telling you, it shapes my week. It shapes my week. <laughs> when I can say, God, I'm here to meet with you. What a day. What a blessing, what a province, a problem, what a blessing, not a problem. I'm just getting excited. Come soon, Lord Jesus, I'm messing this up. Wouldn't it be fun if right now he just came and it's all over and that's okay with me? I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't know if you're okay, but I'm okay. If all of us disappear and you're still here, you're not okay. That's, that's going to be one of the sermons coming up. Okay. <laughs> Do that now, please. Okay. Okay, we'll get there. Okay, so listen to me. Listen to me now. Listen to me. Listen, listen. The first epiphany of God comes in the book of Titus, and I'm going to tell you something. The Jewish nation was not ready for what came. 
They thought Jesus' coming, the kingdom come, meant that the king of kings was going to establish his kingdom. He was going to reign and rule with an iron scepter. They thought that was going to happen 2,000 years ago. So when Jesus comes and he's a friend to sinners, he's going to their parties, he's drinking with them. They're like, who is this? What is going on? He's a drunk and a glutton. This is not the king of kings. They could not wrap their heads around the coming of of the suffering servant called Jesus. They couldn't get it. They missed the epiphany. Here God shows up, Jesus shows up, and he says, I'm God in the flesh, and you guys can't even see me. You're missing it. You're not prepared for the coming. Now, it's tragic, is it not? It's tragic that the Jewish nation missed the coming of the Savior. It's tragic. They're going to get it by the end, by the way. They're going to get it. But do you understand? Here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm going to give you a warning, and I want you to hear me very carefully. We are not ready for the return of the king. We've been living like Jesus is our buddy. He just winks at us, and we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. Do you understand God has saved you not so you can keep living for yourself? but you can live for him and others. I'm not telling you that to condemn you. I'm just telling you that so that you don't look at me in heaven and say, why didn't you tell us? I'm telling you right now, the king of kings is coming. And we're in danger. We're in danger. It's one of the signs of the last days. The church is going to be asleep. We're not going to be awake. We're not going to be alert. We're not going to be ready for the return of the king. We need to be. We need to be, church. It's time. It's time. Zig Ziglar teaches something. How does the grace of God teach us? And I love this teaching. And he teaches that, you know, if you're in a plane and you're flying and the plane crashes into the ocean, how many of you know if you survive that crash, that's pretty good? Would you be thankful if you're in the plane and you survive the crash? I would. But now you're bobbing in the ocean. Sharks are swimming around. How many of you know survival is not the place you want to stay? How many of you know in our Christianity today, so many Christians are just surviving? They're just getting enough of God to keep their head above water. They're treading water and spiritually. Oh, there's God. There's God. There's a shark. Ah, that's not a place you want to stay. And it's not a place you have to stay. So, you know, the good news is you're, you're bobbing in the water. The sharks are... Nah, 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 nah. That's the worst three notes ever created in a musical. <laughs> three notes. Nah, 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 nah. Ah! It's terrifying. I can't even think about it when I go to the ocean. I actually walk only knee deep. <laughs> Scariest movie <laughs> score ever written. But how many of you know there's a place to move from survival? You can move to stability... Stability is like a life raft shows up. You haul yourself out of the water. You're stable now. Thank God I'm stable. Oh, oh, sharks are flying. It's so good. I'm out of the water. But how many of you know stable is not a way you want to characterize your life? How's your marriage? Mm, Stable. Wow. 
compassion. That's fairly not exciting. You, you get it. You get what I'm saying. We don't want to stay there, but yet God, God takes us from, from survival and he moves us to stability, which is good. I'm thankful for stability. Stability is good. You're out of the water. You're, out of, you're safe and, and you're in a raft, but you're not quite there yet. You know, the next stage that you can grow to is the stage of success. Success is where the raft drifts to an island and there's coconuts and there's pineapples and there's wild boar and chickens oh, and running fresh water. How many of you know success is good? Success is good. And I think a lot of you Christians, you're in a place of success. Your kids serve God. You're stable. You know how to connect to God. You're, you're disciplined. You're doing well that way. And that's a good place to be. But how many of you know that you're not done yet? You're not done. Because there's another place to move from success. God wants you to move to where you become significant. And significance is when you look out of the water and realize there's other people bobbing. You realize there are other survivors out there. You realize there's a few drifting rafts and you're helping people get to shore. And you align your life and you live your life in such a way to say, this is the most important thing that I can do with my life is to live for God, to live with God, to live for people. Hallelujah. That's what the grace of God is gonna teach us to do, church. I'm going to talk about that next week even more. And I want you to understand it's time for us to stop making discipleship an option of Christianity. It's not an option. God is saying, I gave my life of my son for you so that you could be free from where you're at and become more and more like him. That's God's heart. That's what God wants. That's what the grace of God is for. And here's the last part of it. The grace of God teaches us daily whose we are and who we are. It says, who willingly gave himself in Titus 2 to be crucified on our behalf, to redeem us and purchase us and our freedom from all wickedness, to purify for himself a chosen and very special people, to be his own possession, who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. Church, listen, you're a chosen and a very special people. I didn't pick you. I didn't even pick me. God picked you. God picked me. And he picked us to live in such a time as this, to be alive in 2019, when the whole world is plummeting over the edge of hell, running, cursing God, running off the cliff, and God says, I want you to be my witnesses in this day and age. And the word witness doesn't just mean to tell people about God. Do you know the word witness is actually the word for martyr? It means I want you to die to your selfish desires and live with and for me. I'm not telling you this so you can go and be religious and change, try and change everything yourself. How many of you can't do it? You broke it, but you can't fix it. Let's just get over that right now. But what we can do is position ourselves every week, every day to receive more grace, to have another epiphany of God, 
to be strengthened by his spirit and by his presence. This is what God wants to do. See, here's a question. Are you tired yet? Are you worn out yet? Have you had enough of you yet? Well, there's a solution. His name is Jesus. He's coming soon. He wants to walk with you. Amen? It's time to partner with God, with one another, to pursue maturity so that we are ready for the coming of the King. That's my prayer as your pastor. On that day that you will all stand and say, we were prepared, we were told, we were ready for the return. I'm just going to close with my own story. I'm going to ask the band to come back. I have no idea what time it is because I don't have a watch on. Five two? So I got a half hour still. No, I got five minutes. It's all good. Relax. It's all good. You know, church, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my own confession. Here's my confession. I can confess many things, but this is one I'll confess today. Um, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. I love shortcuts. My kids will even tell you that when we were a kid, when they were kids, I would take them to school in the morning, and I had the bat trail. And the bat trail was literally off-roading with my car, not, a, not, a, not an SUV, with a car behind Doug and Kathy's house to get there and beat Doug. We would race Doug in the morning to get our kids there and we'd be, Dad, go faster. I love shortcuts. Are you with me? The car would be going on and I'd be like, what's wrong with the car? I don't know. Go, hang on, kids. How many of you know we try to shortcut our Christianity sometimes? <laughs> I do. I'm like, that, would, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to try that thing. If I just go to that conference, I'll be changed and I won't have to deal with that stuff in my life anymore. How many of you know that just costs you 150 bucks to learn that it doesn't work? If you, if you got in for that much, that was really good. Now, I'm not saying that to say there's not some good things that are line upon line, precept that you're going to build and learn. But I'm going to tell you what I've learned in my life is that there is no shortcutting spiritual maturity. Now, I'm not telling you that I learned that like three years ago. I'm telling you I'm learning that today because I still try and shortcut things. I do. I've done it many times. I can't even tell you how many investments I've made, like just financial investments that are shortcuts. How many of you know none of them have worked? Dang. You think I would have learned after the seven, but seven is apparently not enough. You need eight. And then I'm not sure if I'm going to learn again. (laughs) There's no shortcutting this, guys. It's time for us to commit to growth, commit to Christ-likeness, commit to being right with God and walking with God and with one another. Amen? Well, let's bow your heads. Church, the Savior has come. Oh, thank you that the Savior has come. Thank you that you rescued me from myself, Lord. Thank you that you took a broken, weak man and you've saved him. You saved me from myself and from destruction. God, thank you. I can't say thank you enough, Lord. I don't even realize what you've saved me from. I'm so in need of you, Lord. Unless you reveal yourself to me, Lord, I I can't see it. So I pray for greater grace to live in the hope of your soon return. 
Lord, you're coming. You're coming again. You're coming for a triumphant church. You're coming for overcomers. You're coming for those who have broken away from so much darkness and brokenness in this world. You're coming for those who are living with you and for you. No more excuses, Lord. Let us confess our excuses to you. Say, God, you got to help me. I actually love ice cream more than I love you. I love Doritos more than I love you, God. I don't know what it is, church, but some of you need to have a real conversation with God. He'll take you right where you're at. It doesn't matter. Whatever you say to him, just be real and be honest. He'll take you the rest of the way. Amen? So if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, I want to live in the hope of the return of the King of Kings. It's time for me to get my foot off the brake, put my foot on the gas, and start going forward. If that's you here today, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, but you just say, I want to live more. I want to live more for God. I want to live more for His kingdom. I want to live more with Him. Not to try and reach Him, but because I've been reached by Him. I want to live for Him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Many of us, most of us, raising our hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. You know, you can put your hand back down. If you're here today and you're saying, I I am not ready for the return of the King. You know that with one word, you can be ready. You can be ready right now. You can say, God, I give you my life. I give you my brokenness. I give you all the things I've done wrong, all the things that I've been putting before you. I want to live with you and for you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to accept you as Lord and Savior so that I can live for you, ready for your soon return as the King of Kings. If that's you here today, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray with me? Yes. Are there others that would join? Yes, these two that have raised their hand. Three, four, thank you, Jesus. Yes. Can we just pray a prayer out loud together, all of us? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for me. Now help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. This is what this series is gonna be about. So come every week.